0: Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 118. Chris, boy, have I got a fun number fact for you, for the number 118. Wait. Lay it did, on me. Did you know that there are officially, as of 2015, 118 recognized elements of the periodic table by IUPAC, the organization that does these sorts of things. Uh 120 have been predicted, but not officially recognized. And then presumably... It goes on from there, but right now we know of, we have named, we have synthesized at least one atom of 118 elements. Uh, the 118th element is called oganesson, and that pronunciation might be wrong. Uh, uh, abbreviation OG. Can you? It, it was first synthesized in uh, 2002 by banging together calcium and californium together californium sounds like a another made-up one but this yeah. is, uh, once we get to the the higher ones you can start naming them after uh whatever you want i guess can you tell me or could you posit a guess for why element 118 is called oganesson uh it was named after the guy who found it it was named after the guy who found it that's right there uh we go. and and had a role yuri oganesson um and had a role in uh, discovering a, a lot of other of these very heavy, heavy elements he's the grandfather of the heavy elements I think is what I said on his homepage um, on on Wikipedia and this is very unusual because of something about Yuri Oganesson there's only one other element that was named after a person for which this situation is true do you want to take a guess as to as to why it's particularly interesting uh, oh, that it's named uh, after this particular dude
1: He's blind. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> That's pretty good. That's good. He's alive. Oh. Oh. Okay. He's the. He's one of only two people to have a element named after them while they're still living. Uh, Einsteinium is one that was named well after Einstein died, although it's rumored that he may have been told that he might have an element named after him on his deathbed. But uh, Yuri Oganesson and Glenn T. Seaborg who uh, is the uh, person who was who Seborgium was named after? Element number one hundred six. Um, however, Seborg uh, has since passed away, and Yuri Ogan- Oganes- Oganessian—I think is right—Yuri uh, is still alive today. So he is right. the—he right now, this dude could look at any periodic table in the world and point to it and be like, <laughs> "See that? That was named after me, and I'm the only person in the world who can say that." Who's still alive? And I thought that was a pretty cool fact about the number 118.
1: Yeah, there we go. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that's, that's is, exactly that is cool fact. <laughs>
0: exactly the reaction I go for in these cool number fact segments. <laughs> yep. <laughs> cool. How you doing? How's your How was your week? What would you get up to? Uh,
1: I'm doing good. Uh, my parents are in town, so that's always uh, nice to see them. They came for my kids have uh, like end of the year stuff so ballet recitals and stuff like that um so yeah they're hanging out for a little while and uh as a result i didn't do much uh, outside of my job and so i have a pretty light
0: uh week but uh yeah that that's how my week went that sounds great sounds like fun good spending time with family any thoughts on possible kaggle competitions you might want to do is there anything tasty juicy coming up that you think you might uh look at
1: yeah, there's a few. We talked about the finger spelling one last time. So uh, yeah. American Sign Language finger spelling. Um, that one uh, sort of funnily, that uh, no one has yet has submitted a valid um, submission yet, mm. uh, and it's because it seems like there is a bug in the submission process. So mm. people on the message boards are getting a little antsy because <laughs> when no one can submit, you can't like check that your model is actually working, and so you can't actually. My guess is if they find a significant enough bug, they will fix it and then reset the clock to 3 months again. Uh, I don't mm. know, but that's just a guess. Uh so there's that one I might do. And then there's there's actually an interesting one um about contrails from planes. Mm. So apparently planes leave contrails when they move through I guess high moisture environments and something about that uh is a significant contributor to global warming. Um I didn't realize that just where a plane flies is is a uh, Like matters, but I guess it does. Mm. Maybe it takes more fuel or something. I'm not sure. Um, Anyway, so there is a competition to uh, detect contrails on satellite images, Mm. and then they're going to somehow use that to reroute planes and lower global emissions. So that's kind of cool. It also has like a 450 gigabyte data set, which is huge. Um, Most are 100 gigabytes or less. And so, you know, I have the hardware to deal with that. So That's something I could deal with. So I might do that one.
0: I would love if you did the contrails one. Any specific reason? Yes. (laughs) There is a very specific reason. (laughs) Okay. My mom yesterday sent in a group chat a two hour long documentary about About contrails. Chemtrails. Yes. 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 Are you are you familiar with what chemtrails are?
1: Something about the government is releasing chemicals. Through mm-hmm. the airplanes to indoctrinate us or something.
0: Yes. That, yeah. As, a, as okay. an elaborate, uh, this particular documentary talked about that it's a geoengineering scheme to secretly release uh, primarily aluminum compounds into okay. the air that have some geoengineering properties that it's like an insulating blanket to buy us more time with global warming And it has a bunch of spooky footage. And So
1: so the the crazy thing is that is something that people are considering. Do you know about this? I know that cloud seeding is a thing. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So so releasing, I don't remember what chemical it is, but releasing chemicals into the atmosphere is potentially a way to divert sunlight. Yes. And so uh, they're not doing it yet. (laughs) But uh, that's probably where that came from because that's an actual thing we could do if Warming starts getting bad enough, uh, yeah. You can re- now the, the problem is you you start releasing chemicals into the air, and who knows what downstream effects that causes. Yes, uh, I might, you know, c- cure might be worse than the disease for sure, um, B- uh, particularly yeah. aluminum.
0: Aluminum is bad, uh, yeah. It's y- yeah. yeah,
1: I don't know, I don't, I don't remember it being aluminum, I thought it was something else, but yeah, anyway,
0: yeah. In, in this documentary, they covered several things it might be, and yeah. I, uh, perhaps unhealthily find myself so engaged in this type of discussion so (laughs) i think i approached it much healthier than i would have in the past but in the group chat i pointed out uh several things that the documentary said that were immediately falsifiable and how the narrative that they were pushing was unsubstantiated and and i like it was it was a healthy discussion and so but i i did find myself very interested in learning more about what contrails are like you said it's my, my current understanding is uh you know similar to when it's a cold day you see the the uh you see what appears to be white smoke coming out of cars uh yeah. that to my understanding or your, own, is, your own breath too or your own breath yes my understanding is in both those cases it's hot humid air that is cooled down quickly because the the outside air is cold and so then it condenses into tiny ice crystals and and water droplets and that's what makes the the visible smoke and airplanes super high up in the air very cold up there same thing it, it doesn't happen all the time because it, it takes a certain i don't fully understand this but uh, a certain mix of of humidity and, and temperature to be able to do it yeah and oh my gosh in this documentary they had they had like the same <laughs> six clips of footage that were meant to convince you that this is obviously not contrails it's obviously chemtrails because as the airplane's flying through the air ah it stops and then, what's this? Two seconds later, it starts again. Clearly, that wouldn't be possible unless this was some sort of chemical that they were putting in the air. And then I researched that, and my understanding is, okay, there can be pockets of humidity. And, you know, yes. similar to, to, you know, hot and warm spots in a pool, the, the, you, can, you can have one area where you have the conditions necessary, necessary to make this, and then uh, other areas where you don't. Uh, and one of the interesting things I saw about this was that contrails do actually have an effect on the environment. It does actually cool the planet down, from what I read, particularly at night... Warm the planet, right? Uh, is it warm cool. the planet? It's warm the planet. It, yeah, it's warm the planet specifically for contrails created at night because okay. uh, if there's no clouds at night, it's cooler, and then the the heat energy from the Earth is able to it, uh, radiate off. Radiate's the right word, I think, and, and yeah. just sort of float off into space. But if you have this insulating blanket of uh, the, this water vapor... Uh, then the, the earth stays warmer so i would love <laughs> <laughs> i have i have like a healthy motivation for this which is just i'm curious and i like to learn more things and, and you I have, have more of I an unhealthy motivation, motivation. <laughs> yes <laughs> which is like if you started doing this competition i would know so much more about contrails <laughs> and so the next time i had this discussion with my family i could just whip out a bunch of my knowledge about <laughs> i could see, be like I well see. actually a very good friend of mine who i have a podcast with did this you know uh ai contest in, in contrails and here's actually what's going on and yeah that would just that it would do a lot for me if if you did that one <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll see what i could do okay thanks
1: <laughs> uh yeah anyway so those are the two i'm considering <laughs> cool yeah cool
0: um you we, we talked just like in, in DMs about the one that you just finished, the um, mm-hmm. image one. Do you want to talk about? Oh, yeah. Were you, were you placing that?
1: Yeah, I don't think I ever talked about that. Uh, yeah. So I placed, I ended up in the 50, like 50 something. Okay. Um, because Remind I me what you needed for gold. Twelfth. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. I, I basically stopped working on it the last two weeks because I realized I was not going to, like they had figured something out that I wasn't going to figure out. Um, And so it was better for me to spend time on other things. So I sort of knew this going in, but the essentially the way that the top teams won is by uh, using about 10 times as much compute as I did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So if I would have done it, it would have cost me something like five to $10,000. Okay. the way these top teams did it is many of them are essentially employer sponsored. Mm. Um, The, there are several companies uh, nvidia's one hugging face's one there's others who essentially pay you to compete in kaggle um, sometimes you know most of the time that's not all you do you know you have a, a normal job but you can spend you know up to 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week or something competing and you also get to use company resources like gpus hmm. and that's the kicker for this one um, because they have gpu clusters just sitting around and so you can Turn them on and make, you know, in the top, in the top team made 10 million images, Hmm. um, which is 10 times more than I did. (laughs) Uh, So, um, yeah, they they also did some interesting things. Um, So it wasn't just compute. Uh, They used a model, which I didn't even know about, that came out in the middle of the competition. Um, So you got to stay on top of the models that come out. Mm. Um, And then they also did a few interesting training techniques. Uh, One to train faster. So you have 10 million images and you want to train a transformer, right? Transformers take a long time to train. Mm. And so one way you can do it is called LoRA, L-O-R-A, which essentially takes a a single layer and puts it into the existing network at certain points. And they just train those layers. And so it has a similar, it's similar to retraining the whole network, but it's way, way faster. Mm. Um, So that's interesting. I didn't know about that technique before, and now I do. So uh, if you have a giant network and you're trying to train it faster, you can do it with LLMs also. So if you Mm. want to retrain, there's actually one of the ways that you can retrain stable diffusion to learn like certain people's faces or whatever. There's four Mm. or five different ways. And one of them is you stick these networks, or these 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 layers, single layers in at certain points of the network, and then you can uh, retrain to like learn a specific face or something. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting technique I didn't know about before. I have
0: several follow-up questions from that. Uh I think the thing I'd like to talk most about is the the concept of this LoRa network. This is yeah. uh so I, I think my current understanding of it is uh you you have your existing neural net and we're gonna we're gonna keep that static. Yep. But we're gonna take a new network and stick it on the end of the existing neural
1: net. So that's what normal fine-tuning is. Normal fine-tuning, you take a small neural network, you stick it on the end, and you can either just train that network, or you often just train that network, but then when you want to fine-tune the whole network, when you want to increase your accuracy even more, you fine-tune every weight in the entire network. So all the layers, including the one you just stuck on the end. Yes. So that's normal fine-tuning. Okay. With this one, you stick one on the end, like normal, but you also stick basically ones in the middle. So you like divide up the network into different chunks and you stick your own layer in between these chunks of the network mm-hmm. and so you you can end up training like uh, 10 or 100 times less parameters fewer parameters by sticking your own new layers in between
0: okay because we're not retraining the whole network we're just training the variable layers that we've stuck in the, in network. the middle okay so yep. so i can imagine how this might play out is let's say we, we, we've trained this really complicated neural net to be able to recognize images and early layers in the network are recognizing things like is the image red or is the image yep. curvy and so if we can roughly estimate that how, how many layers have that level of abstraction and then we stick a, a laura is, yep. is that Laura's is the name of the yeah it's, the, a, it's called low rank low rank something okay <laughs> yeah. so L-O-R-A. we stick a low rank something yeah. Uh, in in between at that layer yeah and to start with it's, it's just directly passing that information on yeah. uh and, and then we do that again let's say the next level of abstraction is like uh i don't know is is uh, what's what's something we could add on top of that is it
1: it's it's is often it, like cor- corners and then shapes okay. and then that's sort of the classic one and then groups
0: of shapes yeah okay yeah so so let's say let's say the first layer is like colors is this red or yellow or, or orange and then, okay, we stick the Laura in there, and then the next layer is trying to figure out shapes of those colors, and then we have output neurons from there that say, is it circle-y, is it square is it, it triangle And then the next layer from that might be uh, figuring out what fruit is in the image. Is it an apple or a banana or something else? Yep. And if we chunk those layers and by by sticking a Laura in between, then assume that if those layers are getting good input data that that specifically doesn't need to be trained retrained it, it just it, we, we just need to tweak that like it's getting clear information um then by just tweaking the LoRa layers we could improve the accuracy of the of the whole network with yep. much less computation cost
1: yeah in, in okay. your example it would be like one of the lower layers could be saying like i know you know this has been trained on red and blue and green and orange but there's actually, I see no orange images. So I'll just set all my orange inputs to zero okay. and only worry about the other stuff. Um, something like that. That's probably, that's not exactly what's happening, but, but that's essentially what it is. It can highlight or or diminish certain features coming from higher
0: up the network yes. um, in a trainable way. Based yeah. on my higher level goal. So if the if my higher yeah. level goal doesn't care about the color orange, then the lower layer right after my layers that are just recognizing the colors might learn to say, you know what, we get a much clearer signal if we just ignore orange and purple and, and just concentrate on red and yellow and green, because those are the only colors that matter. So the the those those layers are still functioning exactly how they did. They're still predicting imperfectly what the color is, yep. but now we're strengthening the signal of that cluster of uh, layers. Yep, exactly. That's and really cool. Okay, I,
1: I say exactly. That's not exactly what's happening, but uh, that's, sure. that's exactly a great uh high level interpretation of what's going on yes that's
0: that's all i need for right now (laughs) yeah (laughs) cool and then uh the the second thing i was curious about was the uh, the, was there prize money for this competition yeah it wasn't that much though the compute would have cost more than the prize money yeah sure yeah you said it was it would have been like 20 grand if if you paid for it maybe even 12 was the, the first place yeah okay okay but It sounds like that makes sense for companies to do who already have access to these GPUs because otherwise the GPUs would just be sitting idle. So you might as well do something with them.
1: Yeah, so they already have the GPUs in some cases. So like NVIDIA has this team of Kaggle Grandmasters and they give them, I forget what it's called, but it has like eight high power GPUs in it. And they just have access to that to do whatever they want with. And there's more than the compute cost. The benefit is uh, number one, you can now say you have a bunch of Kaggle Grandmasters in your company. So that's one thing. You also like in Nvidia's case they want to stress test the GPUs on real world you know things they want to a lot of the peop, a lot of the grandmasters on that team also participate in open source so mm-hmm. they want more open source that uses Nvidia GPUs is good for the world um, they also at the end of these competitions they usually produce like a blog post and a YouTube video about stuff so now they can be seen as kind of a leader in competition like in the field and in certain ways mm-hmm. so it's essentially training and PR for these companies because they can release blog posts and stuff plus it trains their their people on the the latest and greatest uh, you know stuff yep so yeah that it's basically the cost is immaterial to them because yeah they already have the GPUs and compared to the salaries
0: it's nothing anyway so yeah that makes perfect sense to me yeah that's a worthwhile thing for them to do I think I was surprised by uh, uh, that there's not a way for them to resell their GPU stuff like it'd be cool if for companies that invest a bunch in GPUs, if there was a sort of marketplace for GPUs that you could contribute to and make money from, kind of like a uh, like like a cryptocurrency sort of thing, but you're actually doing real work and you're paying people money instead of cryptocurrency. So that's
1: the kind of thing that makes sense to you as a person, but at a company level, it just makes zero sense at all. Sure. <laughs> because it's a lot more overhead. And yeah, it's a ton more overhead. You have other companies' data onto, on your servers. That's essentially what cloud platforms do. And yeah. if you don't have, like, it, it would cost millions of dollars to set up just the lawyer, you know, the legal fees sure. to accept other companies' data onto your, you know, platforms. Sure,
0: sure. So, uh, yeah, from a company perspective, it doesn't make sense at all. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. If only you had. Figured out a scheme to uh, scam Newegg out of <laughs> 10 more GPUs. More yeah.
1: They don't have to run them in my, I'm running out of plugs to put my computer... <laughs> I I have to plan my, my power consumption around, which is something I also am thinking about doing. I I uh, by The power box in my basement is right next to a storage area in my basement, which mm. would be great for two computers. Oh, yeah. But my power box is full. And so... I need to have a company out here to see if I can get a sub box or if I can reroute, like, like if I can use one of the breakers, like if it's not being used for very much stuff. Yeah. So I, I want a place to put my computers where I don't have to worry about what other appliances are running at the
0: time. Yeah. Because yep. they'll pull together, they'll pull over a thousand watts, which is significant. So <laughs> while yeah. you have that project open, there's a smart breaker box that I found out about that I was researching huh. when I was looking into tiny houses and building my own house that lets you intelligently first of all it it, like tracks based on each of your circuits how much electricity each thing is using which is fun just from a data perspective yeah and then you can intelligently switch things on or off or reroute stuff and uh have have a virtual capacity that's much higher than your actual capacity because it's able to figure out like oh you only have your whatever dryer running for uh, you know an hour a day uh so we can we can intelligently switch that with whatever else your high electricity usage stuff is and, and make sure that they're not running at the same time. Um, I don't know what that's called, but I do know it exists. Oh, cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll look into that. Yeah. I think cool.
1: the easiest thing for me to do is probably find a circuit that isn't used very much. Like, I, I think there might be a circuit going to our jacuzzi tub in our bathroom that we never use. Yeah. So <laughs> no if one there uses is... Those. If there is, then I could just use that circuit. So, I'm convinced yeah. that
0: people include that in their house so that other people will buy their house and yes, no I other reason. So. <laughs> yep. It looks cool on a liked tour. it,
1: you know? If you, if you put a little bubble bath in and, the, and then run it or a little even just shampoo and run it, it creates tons of bubbles. So oh, our kids cool. used to love that. We did that a few times. That's cool. My uh, parents, in that, that
0: the, the house that I grew up in that my parents built uh, has one of those jacuzzi tubs. And as far as I'm aware, it's been used four times in yeah. the... 15 years that since the house was built. Sounds so, about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to look real nice when they sell the house to the, in the photos and stuff. But yeah, right. it's things like that are, are funny to me. Um, cool. Anything else? No, had a pretty light week. So that was it. Well, then I have one, two, three, four things to talk with you about. All right. The first is file inbox. I talked with you last week about my pains in updating Rails. And after having the conversation with you, I I think the next day was thinking, you know what? Let me just buckle up, put my big boy pants on and let's just push through this. And one of the things that you suggested was, could you just ignore the tests if your app looks like it's working and, and just <laughs> yeah. do it? And I considered that strongly. <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't take my advice. <laughs> I did not take your advice. <laughs> I uh, And in the in the process of debugging it, with chat gpt which i don't think i could have done this without ChatGPT, or mm. if if i if i did yep. getting to the point that i got would have taken like 10 times longer uh but effectively what i did was just try pushing forward and, and pasting in as much of my code as i could to try to give it enough context and then invariably gpt4 was able to actually point to what the problem was so one of those problems of the reason why a lot of those tests weren't passing is that somewhere along the line and i don't think it was between the versions that I was upgrading to, but it may have gotten depreciated in the version I was going to. If you De- have- deprecated. The, uh, deprecated. What did I say? Okay. Appreciated? Yeah. Yes. That's like a monetary. <laughs> just space. make sure. Yeah, correct. <laughs> um, if you have a Ruby file in the modules, uh, so it's it's uh, in the models folder. So it's like app models and then uh, whatever, mm-hmm. but it's in a subdirectory, So mm. which I just had for organization. So I, I had a path that was like app uh, models, uh, users because it was a bunch mm. of scripts related to doing stuff with users and then uh, uh, user list or, or something else because it's it's like a mix in that I would include in my, my user module I had named that class user list without a module but the thing Rails really didn't like was that it wasn't within a module that was the same name as the folder of the thing mm. and first of all I hate that uh, sure. too magical for me don't like that at <laughs> all. Just have named ex- exports and imports and let me name it whatever I want. Um, and that was the case with like several different files. Files that I didn't necessarily have tests for in when I was just like poking around the app, uh, like doing manual testing. So uh, that, that enabled me to fix that for like a bunch of different things and reorganize it and then it, it got fixed. And I think that there were one or two other stupid things like that where it was just like because rails is magic and has like has different ways that it it wants to do things it it, uh i needed to to do tiny stupid things like that so uh after i got all the test passing and i went through the app and i was like okay i think this is working I pushed it and I pushed it very cautiously. I pushed, like, uh, there's four different VPSs that this app is running on with a self hosted uh, Heroku called Doku. And so I pushed it one at a time. Like, okay, let's do one front end app and and try to test that. Oh, try to test that. It didn't work. Why? Because my SSL certificate is expired and I don't know how long it's been expired and it should have been automatically renewing. But okay, let's update that. Okay, now it's working. Okay, good. And now let's do the second front end server. Things are working. Okay, good. Now let's do one of the back end servers and now let's do the other back end server. Okay, we're good. But let's just double check. Let's just try uploading a file to myself and it's broken and yeah. I start sweating <laughs> and, uh, because I hate, I hate, like, it's such a terrible feeling to know that I just push code to production that's right. broken in some way and I don't know why it's broken. And I'm scrambling, trying to think like, is this a quick fix? And I find something that I can quickly fix that might be the problem. So I quickly fix that, but that's not the whole problem. And I'm just like, oh God, what do I do? I'm like, <laughs> I have a place to be in two hours and I don't know how much time this is going to take. And uh so I roll back the the change, and that's the that's the current state that the rails code base is in um we're, we're just back to what the old code was and in the process of doing that, I found out that one of the reasons why my file upload failed is that it the file I tried to upload had a prepended space in the file name mm. and for some reason, based on this code that I wrote like eight years ago. <laughs> It I can't do that. It's just the way that it encodes with S3. I just I can't upload a file that has a preceding space. Strips it probably. Yeah, Uh, it's not it's not like I saw the code that's doing it, and I tried. It's not just that it's stripping it. It's it's some weird way of the way that S3 handles encoding in spaces, and it's real complicated. So okay, yeah. (laughs) Um, so I got to the point where I was like, to to fix this. I would need to like rewrite the way that files are getting uploaded. But mm. then I thought, hang on, wasn't I here like a year and a half ago? And didn't I decide that the thing to do was to just rewrite the entire code base? Why, yes, I was. And then sort of just to soothe myself, I reopened the file inbox code base, which uh, the, the serverless file inbox code base, which I haven't touched in months uh, ever yeah. since we had that conversation about like that it's okay for me to be focusing on on the video clipper. And I did. And it was just this breath of fresh air. It was all my files are all named, same things, and I know how to import and export it. And it's all functional, and it's all like this Next.js thing. And I it just makes so much more sense in my brain than the Rails magic stuff. I love Rails. I love Ruby. It's like it was really good for me at the time of my life where I was getting into web development. But React and Next and and like. These functional components and tailwind, like it just it just clicks for me and I, I fully understand it in a way that I have a lot of difficulty uh, understanding the the rails ecosystem. So fueled by this manic energy of like this love for this new code base and and also a little bit of hatred for the old code base and really not wanting yeah. to do that. Uh, there have been a handful of features that I've kind of been stuck on on the serverless uh, code base. One of them was re-implementing embeds being Mm able to embed upload pages in your own website and another one uh was trying to figure out how to how to include variable names in user uh editable fields so Mm -hmm. like uh i have a i have an input box where i want people to be able to say uh you know uh upload files to the path that starts with uh files and then put it in a subfolder dynamically named after whatever the person has in their email address field. And then uh, that's where I want files to go into. And I was really struggling with like, how do I implement a component that can have variables in it? Like that's that's a weird thing to do. Uh, and then another one was uh, uh, Google Drive integration. So I had these these three mm. things that were, have been on my plate blocking being able to fully switch over. Um, the, the embeds, the dynamic uh, uh, variables in upload fields and the Google Drive integration. And in like half a day, I did all three of them. Uh, except Google drive, that's that's like ninety percent done. There's like one more <laughs> yeah. file I need to I need to uh, change to to be able to get that working. But that felt so good. <laughs> and I felt this renewed energy for for working on this codebase Uh reminded how terrible the the rails app was and how frustrating it was. and it's and it's all serverless. I don't have to worry about servers. I don't next time there's a a heart bleed attack or something, I don't have to think about yeah. that. and i've I've already been there. i've I've already talked through this process, but I felt the feelings anew. Uh, this last week with my frustration of trying to redeploy the rails app. so that's that's what I gotta do. okay,
1: so uh, you fixed those three things. how long to get users over to that one now? Chris
0: I don't know <laughs> <laughs> this is something so I, I have one more call with Asia and I think I think I want to uh, this is a CTO problem though, right? this isn't what do you mean like, if you were the CEO of of uh, File Inbox, yeah, how would you be thinking about this problem? Like, if your engineers were coming to you and saying the legacy code base is hard to update, and we have this new one, but it's not pushed out yet, uh, like, I, I don't know how, how, how. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to look at this from more of a business minded standpoint and not just uh, uh, minimizing my own pain standpoint sure and i don't know how yeah. to, i'm just having trouble thinking about it like yeah i think the work in pushing the business forward looks like doing the things that asia told me to do none of which have anything to do with the code base it's talk to more customers it's send out a survey about pricing uh it's uh uh, after having those conversations with the customers rewrite the homepage in a way that has language that's that's tailored more towards uh business use case and i could do all those things on the existing rails code base i just feel resistance to it because as the developer of this project i don't like the code base but that feels more like a personal preference and at the same time I'm a solo founder like th- that doesn't mean nothing if, if you know me having a code base that I enjoy working on means that a lot of other things are going to get done and it's going to be more stable and it's going to be a much better product um, and one of the one like the north star that age has given me is decrease cohort churn and I think a great way to do that would be to be playing with more experiments of what does onboarding look like and, and how do I make the product better and I when I think about doing that on the new code base I feel excited and when I feel about doing that on the old code base, I feel a sense of dread so yeah. like that's how i'm that's how I'm thinking about it yeah uh, I think the question you asked was what would it take to move people over which is a, like that's a really good question um, I think that I think that looks like right now finishing the Google Drive integration, which is like another half day of work and making an onboarding flow, which I can start by just copying the onboarding flow that I have for the Rails app. And that might be it. And then I think an easy way to get started with that is I could just start sending new traffic from fileinbox.com. I could have like an A-B test where I I randomly redirect half of those people to fileinbox.app. Um, I think that's roughly what it would look like.
1: Okay, so... A lot to potentially say. Um, so you, you asked me if I was CEO, what would I do? And a CTO came to me with this. And I, I'll answer that, but then I'll also answer, but you're a solo founder, so now what? Um, if I was a CEO and my CTO came, I would say something like, I trust you that you need to do this. Otherwise, say our engineers are going to quit or, you know, everyone's going to hate it or right. whatever, right? If it gets to that point, which is, you know, it sounds like it did two years ago for you, right? <laughs> then, okay, we have technical debt. We have to do something. I would ask for milestones, right? So what do we need to do? And when will those be done? Um, as a CEO, I know those will probably slip. But key to uh, the whole conversation is that it'll eventually get done. Mm-hmm. Because these are employees. In order to keep their job, they need to keep working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a solo founder. You uh, don't necessarily have to do the work that you you know, tell yourself you're going to do. Because mm-hmm. you don't have a boss telling you to do that work. And so it becomes much harder. Like you can make milestones and you can say you'll have them done by a certain point, but here we are a year and a half later and you know, we're sort of saying the same things, right? Yep. So it's tricky. It's, it's, it's it's really tricky. Like I think, especially in a company when engineers are told they can work on technical debt stuff by building new things. uh, I think they tend to get very excited and stuff gets done very quickly. Um, But they don't, that's because that's all they're thinking about. They're not thinking about running the business, which you are. They're mm. not thinking about doing more marketing pushes also, which you are. They're not thinking about starting new b- companies, <laughs> which you are. So so that's where it gets really tricky. Like, mm. um, I don't know if any of that was helpful, but that, that's what I would do in a normal situation and why it's tricky in your situation.
0: I think the most helpful thing I got from that was that a reasonable thing for the CEO to say would be uh, that he trusts the CTO and yeah. come up with a, plan to get it done and then get it done yeah. so we can move on. Yeah.
1: N- n- nothing in a company gets done without a plan. Mm-hmm. And so if you if your plan is just telling me stuff and then forgetting it once we're off our podcast, that's probably not a good plan. So yeah, great I, I would <laughs> I would encourage you to write down your plan. Yes. That's what I would say. Okay. Yeah, actually write it down. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. I think I think what i want to do is put on my cto hat pretend like ceo just came to me and said you can do this but it's got to get done and it's got to get done as quickly as reasonably and safely possible yeah in a reasonable amount of time yes and with cto hat on i'm going to make a list of the things that need to be done uh and i can pull from like four other lists that i've made the, the last few times i've done this and i'm going to multiply the time estimates of how long I think it's going to take by like 2 yeah. or 4 and I'm going to print that out on a calendar of what each milestone is and the date that it needs to be done by and I'm going to hang it on my wall right there and then I'm going to do it and I'm going to feel so good when this is done yeah yeah when I can when I can sunset this this rails code base it's it's just going to feel so relieving I'm gonna feel like ah, uh, that it's done. I never have to worry about Rails stuff again. Look at this amazing Firebase stuff oh, automatically expanding yeah. and everything else. I would write that on the calendar too. Mm. R- write
1: that quote right on the top of the calendar, big mm. font. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'll put it. I'll put that on the schedule too. That like, yeah, <laughs> here's where I get <laughs> to celebrate Celebrate. <laughs> really good. Right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. This is very reasonable.
1: Okay. Okay. I also will say like I do every time I give hard advice, I never follow my own advice. <laughs> so I know to do this and I don't. You're
0: exactly the so, guy who like this is this is extremely helpful for me though because you know what my internal state is. Like <laughs> yeah. 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 I heard once that uh when you're getting advice for uh anything if if you're getting like piano lessons or if you're if you're getting you know weight training advice or something it's much more useful to get advice from someone who really struggled with it because Mm -hmm. they know all the ins and outs of what the pitfalls are and what the internal monologues are and if you're trying to get advice from someone who just sort of naturally picked it up if you're trying to learn wakeboarding from someone whose process for learning wakeboarding was like oh you just get on and you just do it right Right. that's not (laughs) as helpful as someone who was like i really wanted to do this for three years and it was only you know year one and a half that I was finally able to get up. And here's exactly how I did it. Here, here's the the process of like here's the mistake you're gonna make. They can they can really break it down. And then probably you're gonna be faster and better than them at picking it up. And uh, yeah, but the, the the that that empathy of knowing what it's like to be struggling in this situation, I think is is very useful. Okay, cool. That sounds like a plan. And I also know what to do on the business front. Uh, because of Asia's direction, the very next thing to do. Yeah. Well, the, the, so the guiding North star is decreased cohort churn. Uh, I get something like 50 people a month signing up for this and I didn't yeah. know the number was that high. And of those 50 people, one or two or three of them will sign up for a paid account. And then of mm-hmm. those one or two or three after the first month, half of them churn. Uh, so that's a problem. Uh so, yep. so the the second part of that problem is the cohort churn. Why are why are those 50% of people churning? And then the first part is trial to paid conversion rates uh seem pretty low. So that's a that's also a problem. Why, why aren't people discovering the value for this? And focusing on those two things is like, ooh, okay, this is this is something, this is a game I can play. Uh, this is a, a problem I can solve. Um, the uh two projects that Asia's given me that are like direct things that I can do to improve those are get inside the user said by doing the mom test style interviews. So I have a whole process of I'm, I'm getting people on the books to have these 45 minute conversations with them of, of the mom test style interviews. Um, one of them's happening later this week. And then uh, also there's a survey that she made. That's a pricing survey that also asks a bunch of other questions about like what the biggest value people get from file inboxes and, and that sort of thing. So from those, I feel like I'm going to have a very clear direction of what needs to happen to increase those numbers and uh then i then i do those things and it's probably going to look like increasing the uh, improving the onboarding process so that people are getting value from the product sooner which i think is going to look like making sure that it's, it's really easy for people to authenticate third-party accounts with dropbox and google drive that's that's kind of hidden right now mm-hmm. and uh embed it in their website because i think of customers who embed it in their website once it's embedded in your website you kind of just keep it forever i've got users who have been with right. this for all nine years it's existed uh because they have it mm-hmm. in their website so whatever i can do to make that easier like in the onboarding process have that as a big thing with a big check mark hey embed this in your website have videos explaining how to do it have uh customized information based on what platform they're trying to embed it in have emails they can automatically send to their developer that that walks them through how to do this um that's that's probably what the next few months of work are going to look like uh and in parallel with that while i'm doing the work to like do the user research and and confirm that hypothesis and get some data on that uh cto hat on i'm uh coming up with a a plan to in a reasonable amount of time switch over to this serverless thing and it's going to feel so good when it's done Uh, i'm so close to the finish line just got to push through and it'll be done and it's going to feel great and it's going to be so much less work and it's such a better code base i've learned so many things in the last nine years about how to make software uh yeah and then probably file inbox is going to start growing and that's going to feel really good and then that's it (laughs) that that i cool yeah that's that's my plan how does this that's a lot
1: yeah Uh, yeah uh I think it sounds like a good direction. Yeah, so actually make the plan, put it up, okay. and uh, see. You. And you may not hit the plan exactly. You may things may change, right? But that's okay because that that's part of the plan. But if you don't do anything, yes, then that's when it stagnates. So, I, can Dude, I send the plan to you also, just as a I, I, yeah, source of external sure. accountability? Cool. I, I will. I will text you if I don't have it in uh, by the end of the week.
0: Uh, I'll do it today. Uh, if you don't have Excellent. it by the end of today. I'll something that's gonna have it by the end of today. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, boss. Yep. Um cool. Okay. I have uh three more things. The next thing is sort of related to this because it's gonna help me with the, the process of doing the outreach and, and customer interviews. I have an update on my assistant. I am so I have- happy that I went with the squared away agency for the first assistant that I made. I, I think at the time I joked that it was like baby's first employee. I didn't have to do any of the vetting. I didn't have to do any background checks. I didn't have to interview people. Uh, I just had a call with someone and they said, What are you looking for? And I said, I want someone to do these things. And they said, Yes, we got someone for you. And then the next call I had was with that person, uh, Rachel, my current assistant. And uh yeah, she she did the things that I wanted her to do. And that was really important for me to go through in a number of ways. I think the most important way was I had some insecurities uh around like that it was reasonable for me to get an assistant or that I had work that they could be doing. I think part of me feared that in the first couple calls Rachel was going to be like, "Hold on. You're not doing real work here. You're not actually helping people. I'm going to call the police. You're going to be arrested." Uh, and that didn't happen because that's not what's happening. I'm, right. I got a business. I'm providing a service to people, and, and there's like actual work that she's doing. So, uh yeah, I, I feel like in the last year and a couple months of working with her, I've built up that confidence, and I was able to like reach out on Twitter and, and contact some people in my personal network asking if there's uh anyone they know who, who they think would be a good fit for this role. And what a great job is this, right? I'm paying thirty five dollars an hour for a thing you can do part-time uh, with other jobs or something else that you can work remotely from. I think I'm a pretty good boss from working with Rachel. I think I'm pretty good at like defining tasks and everything else. Um, and I'm very motivated to grow this company. So this is a role where like your number of hours can increase. There's there's an opportunity to to move up into a, uh, more responsibilities if you want to do that. Uh, I, I got a lot to offer and I was nowhere near that mind frame when I was trying to do this a year and a half ago. And I'm very much in that mind frame now. So I had something like a half dozen interviews. I think I had something like a dozen people contact me. I uh, ruled out a lot of them off the gate. Uh, If they weren't based in the US, it's it's important to me that this is someone in the US. It's it's easier for me if there's less of a cultural barrier. This is someone who I need to build up a lot of trust with quickly. It's easier for me to do that if, if there's someone in the US. And I had a standout candidate who I was really impressed by. Who more than anything else, just like the feeling I got in the interview when I was interviewing her, like I felt excited. I felt like, ooh, I would love to give you this project and and I feel like you would be excited to get this project. And uh, that's not the feeling that I got with everyone in the interviews. A lot of them I got this sense of sort of like dread of like they don't really want to be here. They don't really want to yeah. be doing this. And I feel kind of guilty giving them more work. So I, I feel like I found the perfect person. Um, So I, I feel great about that. I think I think the question I have for you is... This is the first person who I'm hiring, uh, uh, not through an agency. Uh, I could I could have a conversation with my dad about this actually because he he hired multiple people that he like interviewed and stuff for uh, for his business. But I'm um, I'm curious if there's something big I'm missing of like, do I need to be doing background checks? Do I need to be uh, checking references? What, what are what are the boxes there that I should be checking to make sure that this doesn't end catastrophically?
1: So you could, um, especially since you're giving sensitive data stuff but if you trust your gut then uh i mean you're hiring them as a contractor right not as a w-2 correct uh so if something goes wrong it's super easy to just be like i'm not renewing your contract Mm -hmm. so like just make sure in the contract usually in my contract i would write that either party could terminate within 30 days like like so you just like notify them the month before And if it's really bad, you could say, I'm going to terminate you in 30 days, but I'd I'd like to, I'm revoking all your access now, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can still abide by that contract, pay them for a month, even though like if something really bad happened and if something really, really bad happened, then I guess you don't have to even do that. You could, you know, threaten to sue them or something, I guess. But, um, having
0: a contract is something in this category. That's not something I thought about. Having (laughs) having
1: a contract is a very good idea. You're going to want a contract. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I'll put you on. They can provide it or
0: you can. Okay.
1: If they can, then you'll probably want a lawyer to review it, um, maybe or chat GPT, I
0: guess. <laughs> yeah, probably. What um, I'll do is just take the contract that I used already for the Squared Away thing.
1: There's lots of common contracts. Yeah. yeah. If they provided that contract, be careful because you can't just use it directly. There's or just don't say that on a oh. podcast. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> um, just kidding. I'm not, not gonna do that. <laughs> be Be careful. Okay. Um, uh, is that really? You can't.
0: You can't just use other people's contracts. and change Oh, that wait, name?
1: lawyers get very angry if you use their contracts. Really? Yeah. It's not open source. Okay. <laughs> yep. It's, yep. But it is. But the source is right uh, there.
0: It's. It's just
1: words. I, I. I. I bought this book over here. Can't I just take it and reprint it and pass it out to? No, you can't do that. Okay. Uh, okay. Same, same thing. No, <laughs> this,
0: I'll have ChatGPT do it then. But I can I read but, can I read that contract for inspiration and then tell ChatGPT that I want those elements yes. included?
1: Okay. Yes okay you also you also probably don't need ChatGPT. there are plenty of open source contracts for things like uh, 1099 contractors um you uh very important are make sure you own whatever they produce okay it's very important if you sell your company later yep um and that's about it actually (laughs) okay uh you can put you can put crazy stuff i mean you want payment terms in there that that's often in a statement of work instead of a contract so a contract might say um you know I'm hiring you, 1099, I own all, I own whatever work you produce for the company, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes there's stuff like indemnity in there. You can you can read up on all that and decide what you want. And then often it will say, you know, work and payment pursuant to sta- a statement of work. And then you have a separate statement of work, which is not a contract. So it's a much lighter weight document, which is just like, you know, this is what you're paid per hour and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. Um, Cool. So or you can do it all in one contract or you can split it up like that. Often statement of works are so I did statement of works uh, very commonly when there were multiple projects for the same company. So I might get a single contract saying I can work for you. And that's when if they did a background check or whatever, that's when they would do it. And then for every new big project that came up, I would do a new statement of work saying, you know, or whenever like payment terms changed, that's when I would produce a new statement of work. And it didn't need the same legal checks on their side because it was just a changing, you know
0: pay or something okay so, okay so, yeah. so uh, to, to summarize that it sounds like legally it's important for me to have a contract part of the contract will include an nda i guess saying uh you know you're dealing with sensitive yep. information don't share it with people Yep. that's also going to say uh the work that you do is owned by my company in case i need to yep. sell it later and then i'll look over the contract from square to i seeing if there's anything else that should be included in there so that's that's one piece of it and then the yep. second piece is a statement of work which I, I may have already written. Uh, just a, a statement of work I think just is saying what their responsibilities are. So I'll say like Yeah, it you, yeah. Know, d- you do customer support emails and and other stuff too. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that was
1: much less important. It's basically it yeah, it says what they're doing and how much they're getting paid
0: essentially. Yeah. Usually. Cool. Yep. Um I have a dumb question. That's sure. I, it's not a dumb question. I have a question that makes me feel dumb when I okay. think about asking it. How do you pay people money because right now yes. it's i think it's just a a, a direct deposit link that that squared away is just pulling from my account yep uh and i can send money to myself but i think i can only send money to myself through ach because uh i own both accounts yes so how to do should i venmo her no okay
1: uh should yeah, i send her a two check to get- in the mail there's two ways you can do it. You can send her a check okay. from your business account. Um, if she accepts credit cards, you could do that. Although most people don't.
0: I wouldn't if I was her because that's kind of correct. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, or you can set up something like Gusto. Um, there are companies like Gusto who will do 1099 payments for you. They cost a little bit, um, but they will do things like send her a uh, 1099, <laughs> you know, like a tax document. I like that. Um, so, yeah, which she will want. Okay. So, yeah. If you're a payroll company, if you have a payroll company, they probably do this. Um, So you can ask them and it's probably not a big deal for them to do it. Um, Or if you want to go through something like Gusto, then they can do it too. They will also like collect her social security number or EIN if she has a business Hmm. um, and keep that on file in the proper and legal ways. Also, there may be state filing things. I don't know. There is for W-2. I don't think there are for 1099s, but they would know that. So, yeah, I would I would go through something like Gusto or your payroll company. Cool.
0: I will probably do Gusto because I don't think I have a payroll company. I just have an account with okay. Chase. Would Chase have built-in payroll stuff? Uh,
1: not to my knowledge. I mean, they probably do somewhere, but okay. I don't. Yeah, no,
0: I have a different. I have ADT, which is a giant payroll company. Okay. Yeah, I'll check out Gusto. Perfect. Uh, last question in this front. If I'm saying that I'm going to pay $35 an hour and it's a 1099, someone has to pay taxes on that. And she does. She does. So I think, I think I'm like the cost to me is $35 and she'll be functionally yes. making less than that because she'll have to pay taxes on Correct. what she makes. Okay. Yes. Okay.
1: If she was a W2, you would also have to pay employment tax. Yes. But so
0: that's different. Got it. Okay.
1: As a contractor, she says, yeah, she, she submits it. She'll probably submit an invoice. You, you could either pay her automatically or have her submit an invoice like every month. Okay. Um, And that is exactly how much you pay.
0: Yeah. Great. That's ten ninety nine 1099s are great cool it's going to be a variable amount each month because it's going to be just the number of hours that she works times 35 yeah, probably want her to send an invoice then okay oh maybe i talk with her about it'd be nice if she could set up like a stripe account and then just send me an invoice through stripe and then stripe could do so you could but you still need
1: to give her 1099 no mm. i would google that before you do it okay but maybe
0: Stripe might do it i'm not sure if if one of the things i would need to do is make her 1099 i have an assistant who could make a 1099 for me that's true um yes okay. correct
1: cool okay i, I think her first off job off. could be figure out how i pay you yeah right
0: <laughs> <laughs> write yeah. me a contract for, for an assistant I, it, hire. Could, it could be yeah uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah um <laughs> cool <laughs> sounds like potentially a horror story if someone who like goes up with a contract that somehow if you're not careful transfers yes, all the be. ownership of the business uh yeah okay Cool, cool. Um, how much time do we have? We we have enough time for my my two things. Uh I had a, a conversation with a, a mutual friend of ours the other day, and uh, I I had an interesting question spring up in my mind, and I'm curious what your take on this question is, which is if if you had a significant amount of your own money invested in me, let's say that like. You'd invested in Gento Cocoa Corp and you, it's like, you know, 25% of your net worth is is tied up in this. Uh, what would you want me to be doing differently that I'm not doing to maximize the return on your investment?
1: Yeah. So you prompted me that you're going to ask me this. And I gave part of my answer, which was the whole plan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to probably see plans two things one a good investor will give you the money and then walk away and only come when they're so so this is uh if if i am um, if, if you ask me right for for what i would want to see right um uh I, yeah I, so plans- I would want
0: a good investor for me would be someone who's like actively involved i don't i, I would want okay. someone who's like really working to like they're they're invested invested they <laughs> okay they don't want to M- lose most people most people want money from investors and that's it. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. in, in the theoretical uh, or, scenario, like you, uh, okay. I, I want to know Got what it. you would do to, to like, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, I would want to see plans. So yeah, what are you going to do by when? Okay. And those dates might slip, but that's okay. At least you have something on paper. Um, you can, those could be as forward looking as you want. So you, you you could do estimates. Like I think if I will do this, then I will get this many, you know, if I think I, t- if I talk to a hundred people, I'll get two customers. You know, maybe you have plans like that. Uh, I'm less concerned with that right now. One, because I'm not a marketer, so I don't know exactly how to make those plans. Mm -hmm. Uh, But two, because um, plans always change. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, writing something on paper,
0: I think is good. Um, I think I could make those projections with, you know, I I think I could come up with reasonable estimates for what I think I could increase my cohort churn to and what I think I could increase my trial conversion to uh, and have reasonable estimates and and timelines for that of, of what that would look like. That would help me feel better too. If I, see those and yeah okay okay noted yeah so
1: that's the kind of things that I'd be looking for um other interesting things uh one might be since we're in the sort of cohort churn thing um i would do the graph um i'll need to find it for you but it was in one yc uh talk where they talk about cohort churn and they can tell you if your default alive or dead just based on your cohort churn mm-hmm. um you basically project it out and you basically the line either goes to zero it flat lines and stays steady or it starts growing mm-hmm. um and so i would maybe want to see that graph um also yeah are you default live or dead
0: um i think you're default live because but uh basically be, be, because you're based on the numbers i think i'm i think i'm default dead. but like it's a zombie because i have a lot of users who are yep. just staying on no matter what yeah okay so, so i'd want to know that and i would want to
1: know yeah what your timelines are for fixing it like okay. we just talked about um uh, one thing that Rob Walling talked about a cu- a few uh, a bit recently is when he invests in companies, one of the things so Seed, when Tiny Seed invests one of the things they require is that they go full-time on that thing mm-hmm. uh, and don't go on side quests. And you go on a lot of side quests. Sure do. <laughs> so if I was an investor, I'd probably say stop with the side quests. I don't know if that's helpful in this case okay. because side quests are part of what, you know, makes you you and makes you tick. So Maybe I would say find a healthy way to do side questing while, uh, while still maintaining your timelines and stuff. Yes. For your businesses, um, something something along those lines.
0: That's solid advice. That's uh, very similar to what Shai is the the mutual friend who I had this conversation with. That's that's similar to what Shai said, yeah. That like long-term success for me as an investment would look like, can I stay focused on one thing? Uh, yeah. Or, or do I become endlessly distracted by other things? Yeah, that resonates. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Coming up with a plan, I think is going to be very clarifying. Putting that up on the wall, coming up with projections and goals. That sounds good. And then uh, I don't think I would be able to remove side projects from my life completely, but having boundaries around those, something like I can only work on side projects after 6 p.m. or on the yeah, weekends. I said weekends. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. That feels good. And that feels like a perfect place to end it. However, there's a side project I want to ask you. About. Excellent, let's do it. I just want your I just want your hot take on it. All right. Um. So I uh have gained weight over the last couple of months. Uh, for various Me reasons. Me too. I am suspicious that one of them might be. Uh, there's a there's a known phenomenon for men in developed countries with pregnant wives or partners that they start exhibiting some of the symptoms of their pregnant wives like morning sickness which i felt and like interesting uh differences in uh the smooth muscle that for me caused a lot of differences in the way that i was pooping and that was weird uh and when i read this i read this before sarah became pregnant and i was like that's just for these men who like are really (laughs) empathetic and (laughs) a lot of the a lot of the explanation of it too is like when this was first described in the 1950s i think the description was like ah this is caused by men uh not feeling like they're getting enough attention and so they do this attention seeking behavior of saying that they're experiencing the Great, same things thanks. and i now believe that there's just a lot of hormones floating in the air or something <laughs> uh I, I have three theories about this by the way yeah, i don't know if you want to hear i them. would love to hear it,
1: yeah uh three theories uh one uh, so my wife and I do this too is we call it sympathy pain so like yeah it's it's it could it's just an empathetic thing right if someone's in pain then you feel for them, right sure uh, two, you're probably feeling a lot of anxiety right now even if you don't know yeah, it. yeah yeah uh, there's a baby coming sure and so anxiety can screw you up sure in lots of different ways. Um, and, and then three, when my wife got pregnant, we had a lot of stuff like ice cream and stuff in the house yes. that we didn't normally. <laughs> So I gained weight. (laughs) Yes. That makes a lot of
0: sense to me that there's like, yeah, because Sarah's, Sarah's, uh, especially when she was having a bunch of cravings, like there were, specifically what would happen is she would uh, have a bunch of morning sickness that just made every type of food completely unappetizing. But then she'd get a little glimmer of like, oh, interesting. When I thought about whatever, uh, you know, uh, Vietnamese food, that doesn't feel nauseating right now. So she would get a bunch of Vietnamese food and then she would have one meal from it and then she would have some of the leftovers and then feel sick. And then she nah. wouldn't want to eat it and would move on to something else. So then that means there's a bunch of tasty Vietnamese food in the fridge. <laughs> can, so then i would eat it. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that, yeah, there's a, I, I, yes, I think that tracks. And you know, if it was merely anxiety, uh, that, that would also explain weight gain. All of this to say, I'd like to lose 20 pounds. I'd like to lose about 20 pounds. I weigh about 190 right now. It's the most I've ever weighed in my life. And I feel pretty good around 170. Uh, healthy amount of weight to lose is about a pound a week and just so happens there's about 20 weeks until sarah's due so kind got a right. real good deadline there and uh as part of doing this uh oh hold on this is distracting there's someone calling me okay we're back um as All part right. of uh trying to figure out how i'm going to lose weight uh i've never done calorie counting before and hmm. my understanding of weight loss is you just eat you want to eat like high quality calories you don't want to just eat potato chips but uh, as long as you're in a caloric deficit, as long as you're burning every day uh, more calories than you're eating, uh, you'll lose weight and you want to do it so that you're, there's calculations you can do to figure out, uh, make sure that you're not like eating too little, that you're going to lose more than pound a week. And that sent me down this rabbit hole of like, what's the best calorie tracker? And then I became very quickly disappointed by all the existing calorie trackers. And <laughs> now I want to okay. make my own calorie tracker, Chris. <laughs> Here's what I want the interface to be. From your phone, you take a picture of the food that you just ate. And then in yeah. natural language, you describe what's in the food, either amounts, like, ah, there are, this is three scrambled eggs, or weights, like, ah, this is 200 grams of pork loin. Uh, and then you, you know every meal is going to have some sequence of that, and then uh, have some database where it pulls the information from. I'm looking at several APIs, but I'm also not happy with the APIs, so I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm just going to like... <laughs> The USDA publishes this giant CSV table of all the foods and all their macros and, and nutrients, uh, and then I'll know how many calories I'm eating per day. What's your hot take?
1: Uh t- two things. One, I know people who have done this professionally. Like there are companies try try to do this, and previously is extraordinarily difficult mm. because you might have you know some bread covering a either a potato or or uh, some broccoli, right? And so those are two very very different foods and so from a picture alone it's extremely difficult or like you don't know if it's cooked with butter or with you know with no oil or whatever <laughs> well i want to clarify i'm not i i would be manually categorizing the photos the photos are just for me yeah yeah, to, you, yeah. so sorry so, sorry so that, that was yeah you said picture and text right. and so i'm saying picture alone incredibly difficult yes my second was is picture and text with gpt4 multimodal yeah yeah sounds like that might work yeah maybe yeah P- picture and text especially before how many calories are in it yeah yeah I don't yet have to that. that, but
0: yeah. Okay, yeah, cool.
1: That's what I would do. Uh, and then uh, if that doesn't work, I would completely avoid
0: writing your own calorie tracker. <laughs> That's such good advice. And I don't think I can do it. <laughs> I would like to establish boundaries of that I'm not working on it during the daytime and that I'm not working on it during the week uh, to keep sure. investor Chris happy. But Or this is what I would do. Yeah, You have a, you
1: have a new assistant. I would text her a photo of everything you eat and tell her oh, yeah. to look it up for you. Yeah, yeah. That would be such a good use I don't of know. my time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the kind of person you're about to hire uh, I expect wants to do higher like level work yeah. than that <laughs>
0: but I don't know maybe yeah. okay thank you this is a useful input <laughs> Chris that's all I got or, oh, or yes.
1: okay no this, this is the other one uh, take a picture and write it in a notes in your notes app yes. and then on your side project time nights and weekends uh, then manually go through it and do it yourself yeah. yeah
0: and just have it in a spreadsheet the spreadsheet could be the MVP yeah yeah Use a spreadsheet. Not, not. Don't make it out. Yeah. May, okay. Okay. That's starting to starting to satiate my edge for for doing this.
1: Or uh, skip breakfast and just eat better.
0: That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I hate calorie trackers. Yeah. The simplified so version of this seems to be just like if I merely take a picture of everything I eat, I become more conscious that, that of the times I'm eating, and then that's probably going to be enough to reduce my calories by the whatever twenty percent that yeah. needs to be reduced. <laughs> my yeah. wife has done that
1: before she has done calorie tracking, but she's also just written down everything she's eaten without ca- counting the calories. Um, and that helped also. Yeah. Just merely writing <laughs> yeah. that. Like that stops my only stack. Essentially.
0: I found that heavily when I started doing time tracking that like I merely by tracking my time, I, I spend my time better. Um, yeah, Cool. Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got. Dude. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.